Hey, one more thing before you go. In this episode, we're going to talk with a woman who's a trauma survivor from a very early age. She was surrounded by death and abuse and abandonment. She overcame her struggles with suicidal thoughts and depression and created a positive place for sharing truth in order to heal. I'm your host, Michael Hurst, and this is The Thing About Surviving Trauma. My guest in this episode is Megan Judge. One of her favorite things to do is make people laugh. She's a mother, she's happily married, and she's a podcast host. Her mission in life is to stop the stigma about people suffering with depression and mental illness. And she does that in every episode of her podcast where she shares the stories of other survivors, talks about spirituality, and coming out the other side. Welcome to the show, Megan. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you know, it's an amazing journey that you're going to share with us today. So if you don't mind, let's start at the beginning. Okay, no problem. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in a town called Potomac, Maryland, which is right outside of Washington, D.C. Uh, it's it's a beautiful place to grow up. Um, and really, when you're from Potomac, anywhere in D.C., you you say you're from D.C., it's just something that people from Northern Virginia, Maryland, we all say we're from DC. I love okay. Maryland. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, beautiful state. And, um, and I really miss it. I haven't, I go back, but I haven't, you know, I've been in a, an Angelino for, I consider myself an Angelino now because I've lived here over 20 years. Oh, it's a long time. We're originally from Colorado and we now live in Arizona and we miss Colorado because we miss the green down here. It's just mostly desert. And these mountains down here are baby mountains. <laughs> yes. <to> where. <laughs> yes. I understand. We have a, um, we go to uh, Parker, Arizona. So I don't know if you're familiar with that, but um, yeah, it's on the California state line on, on the Colorado river. We'll have to explore that. Yes. So what was your family like? So I, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a very happy childhood. I did, I can kind of go into this right away, but I did have uh, my first kind of bout with trauma at a very young age. I lost my, my baby sister who was nine months old. Um, she had a very rare liver disease and my mom went to get her out of her crib in the morning and she had passed away. And, uh, my mom, my mom was so traumatized, obviously, that I was left in my high chair. I was two years old for hours. And mm. it was just, it was kind of my first intro into something traumatic happening in my life. But that happened. But then I had a really happy childhood. My dad uh, was an orthodontist. My mom was a homemaker. We were fortunate. We always had everything we needed. Humor was big in our house growing up. We all, um, we all loved to laugh and, you know, be silly and play pranks. And, um, it was very, it was a very happy childhood until my dad was diagnosed with leukemia in, uh, when I was 12 years old. Do you have any other brothers and sisters? I do. I have two older sisters and a younger brother. And then Maura was my sister that passed away. I'm sorry to hear that. So when did you go to university there in Maryland or did you go? I actually, did you leave I, actually I actually went to school in Virginia. I went to um so once once I lost my dad, I um 
my mom, there was a lot of stuff that happened that we can talk about, but I then went to boarding school in Maryland where I, you know, I was kind of shipped out. Um, and it was an hour and a half drive. And then I went to college in Virginia. I went to Lynchburg college, now university of Lynchburg. What'd you study? I was a theater major. I know that's shocking, but yes, I was, (laughs) I was a theater major. I've been doing, uh, I've been an actress since a very young age. I'm not anymore, but I started doing theater when I was about six or seven years old and never stopped. Did all the dancing, all of that stuff. We're a, we're a theatrical family ourselves, both my daughters. Oh, you are? In, involved in dance at a very early age. Three years old, actually. They both started, three and five. And okay. they, uh, they, my oldest daughter and her husband are both in the entertainment industry in California, and my youngest daughter left dance when she when she went to college, and now she's a graphic kind of a she, well, she's a combination graphic designer and a marketing specialist, digital marketing specialist. So she kind of evolved out of it a little bit. But I'm a, I used to be a director when I was the police department, um, which we'll talk about uh, yeah. on your podcast, maybe. I can't but, wait uh, for you to come on. We. Uh, but that's where that's where. So I understand that. I respect the I respect the entertainment industry. And you say you were in the entertainment industry. What do you do now? So uh, now I am a podcaster and a speaker. So uh, trauma survivor, trauma speaker, um, and you know I consider myself a little bit funny. So I kind of put a spin on it where a lot of podcasters talk, you know, their stories might be serious. My my real story of my life is kind of serious, but I feel like humor has kind of gotten me through my whole life. And I was in corporate America after I, you know, I moved out to LA to become an actress like everybody else. And I met my husband really young. We were in our 20s and my husband actually was a working actor for, he still is. Um, and so I, I guess I just was like, I can't, I was a horrible cocktail waitress and a horrible bar. Like I couldn't do any of those odd jobs at one point. I was a nanny. I did it all. And, um, I went into corporate America, um, and I was in it for about 15 years until I started in the past year and a half, which we can kind of talk about having severe, severe issues with panic attacks. And really everything bubbled up from my childhood. So let's talk about your childhood. So I know that you just talked about losing your your sister and being stuck where you were in the wheelchair for some time. But what other kind of trauma took place? I know. And again, you lost your father. How much, how long after you lost your sister, did you lose your father? So I like to say that so I've and now, God forbid, but I would have some sort of massive trauma for the every decade it like in my life for the beginning of my life. And I'm hoping moving forward, I'm going to get some breaks here, but, um, I lost my dad at, uh, at 13. He, he was, he battled leukemia. He went through three rounds of chemotherapy. Um, and yeah, so that was, that was very, very difficult because he was, he was, the greatest guy. He was so funny and so fun and just a really, really good person. And, you know, like some things that I like to say about my dad is he, um, he used to say, be happy by making others happy. So I've kind of like tried to do that with my own life. Um, and he, 
would treat all the nuns and priests for free, you know, do their dental work for free. Like he just was a really, really amazing human. And I sometimes think that God just called him home because he needed him. That's what I like to think. Yeah, this is one more thing before you go, and we talk about this a lot. Did you get to say what you wanted to say to your dad? Um, That makes me a little bit sad. I So because I was so young, you don't, like your brain doesn't really believe. I think I was really in shock. I know that it was nine months of him suffering, and I watched my handsome six three father, you know, like melt away to skeleton, basically lost his hair, everything, which was very hard. But I really did not believe that he was going to, I didn't believe he was going to pass away, I think. And, um, I think when it, when it actually, I, my, my older sister took us all to a park cause she's seven years older than me. And she was sent to like, say, you know, daddy's not going to make it. Um, and that was, that was hard because I didn't, I was in denial. So, so I didn't get to say what I actually think I would say as an adult, but as a little kid, I don't even remember what I said. I, I have no clue. I mean, it's like a lot of it. I push down. I have very few memories of my dad. Um, and I think that that's just because it's a protective mechanism. So I don't even know what the last thing that I said to him is, sadly. Well, if you had the opportunity to say something to him, what would you say? Oh, God. Get ready for some ugly crying right now. That's a really good question. Um, I would say something like, I hope you're proud of me. Um, I really am trying to be a good person like you. And I just am praying that I get upstairs so we can be re reunited again. I would say something like that. That's a wonderful thing to say. I can tell you from listening to your podcast and what you've done and what I can see that you've done, that if he's, he's listening to this conversation, that he should be very proud of you for what you've accomplished so far and what you're doing for other people. You're giving back. So I Thank think you. that... Um, That's so kind of you to say, because it's really, really, really my mission in life, honestly. Well, you're doing good so far. You're doing well. Thank so you. You talked about being surrounded, obviously, the, the the death, but you had also mentioned in some of your bio about uh, abuse and abandonment. Can we touch upon that just a little bit? Of course. So um, my mother, uh, you know, she was left with four kids. Um, my Her oldest was at Georgetown University, and then she, my older, my other sister was a senior in high school, and then I was, gosh, I must have been in like sixth grade, and then I had, I have a, my younger brother was 10, so that's when my father passed away. So I think my mom was, um, she was set for life. My dad was very, very good with money. He had two successful practices. Um, he, you know, I think he just made sure that my mom was taken care of. And so she would have been fine. But the problem was my mom was kind of targeted by this man at our country club. 
And, you know, he was very flashy. My dad was not flashy, although he could have been if he wanted to be a flashy guy and spend all his money on things that aren't important. He could have done that. But instead, he was very, very good with money, but like invested, bought land, like that kind of stuff is what my dad did. But my mom ended up meeting, I mean, I like to call him Frank. That's his made up name. I don't know why Frank, but my stepfather, I call, he's passed since, but I, um, I call him Frank now. Anyways, my mom met Frank at our country club and he just wooed my mom. Okay. So, you know, he had a plane and he was a builder and, you know, he was like buying my mom jewelry and my mom just was, I think, taken by him. He was not attractive whatsoever. So everyone in our family, we were all like, what? (laughs) Why? Like nobody understood it. Um, and so there's a show on Bravo or it was a series called dirty John. They also wrote a piece on it in the Los Angeles times. And then they kind of made a show about it. And it was basically about this man that, wooed this divorcee and turned out to be a total fraud and a really bad guy. And the story unfolds. Well, I like to say that my stepfather was the original Dirty John. So what happened was my mom, you know, remarried him probably when I was 15. So like two years after losing my dad, which was quick. And um, we had to move out of my childhood home that I just loved. I sometimes have this dream that I go back to Potomac and I buy my childhood home, you know? Um, yeah, I just, that's not something I would probably ever do, but like, I just, I remember every room in that house. I have such happy memories of that house. Um, and just, you know, after losing my dad, my dad's closet always smelled like cedar, And I would go in there and take all the shirts and, you know, just smell them just to feel like I was close to him. And um, my mom just was like, oh, we're moving. We're buying a bigger house, you know, and my stepfather just turned out to be a complete, uh, just a really, really bad guy, a bad, bad guy. And I can tell you stories about him, but um, he was he was mentally abusive to me. And, and by the time they got married, it was just my brother and I in the house. Um, so he was mentally abusive to me and physically and mentally to my younger brother. And, um, my mom definitely mentally abusive to my mom. And did she stay in that situation or were you guys able to get out of it prior to him passing? So my, so what he did was he, it's such a long story, but he, he basically stole all of my, my mom's money. He was like writing things over and, you know, he was just, he was a bad guy. And my mom, I think was married to him for about 15 years. In the end, he moved my mom to Florida. So at this point I was, you know, grown and with my then boyfriend, now my husband in LA And my mom had lived, left DC because he was being sued so many times, then moved her to Charleston, South Carolina. Then he started getting sued there because he was a builder and he would just, he was cutting corn. He was just a bad guy. And then 
Finally, he moved my mom to a nice gated community in Florida. Well, Florida has laws that they can't, I don't know the exact laws, but they can't go after your property or I don't know what the exact laws were, but at that point, he definitely was trying to get my mom's house, like all of the property, everything. And he was signing things over and he was just bad news. That's too bad. That's it's unfortunate, actually, when this takes place. Obviously, knowing my background in law enforcement, it makes me very angry. It makes uh, me sad um, putting your family through that. And, you know, the domestic people don't understand that domestic violence also includes uh, emotional abuse. Yeah. And, and, and in the, fi- the final thing that actually happened was my, my stepfather was a gun owner and, um, what he did, he was an alcoholic too. And he had um, barricaded my mom in their house in Florida because my mom was treated so badly for so many years, you know, even to the point where my dad's friends had done a background check on him before they got married. And they were like, don't marry him. He has this, this, and this. And my mom, I think was I think she was just scared and she did anyway. And he, he was like a manipulator. He, you know, he was like, that's not true. So my mom kind of just like went along with everything. And I know she knew that she had made a mistake, but she just didn't want to admit it. And um, so the final straw was he was really drunk. They got in some huge fight. He barricaded my mom he had barricaded my mom into the island of their kitchen and he pulled out a shotgun and um, was like, you're not going anywhere. And so what happened was my mom, um, he passed out, he got really drunk and my mom ran barrack, like got herself out of that room, went into a bathroom called 911 and the police came and the next day he had gotten out and he cleared out all of their accounts. So that was a whole separate thing. Then she had to like get lawyers involved. It was bad, 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 bad. How's your mom doing now? My mom's doing great. She, um, she's healthy and, you know, my mom's always been a beautiful, physically beautiful lady. She was in, um, pageants and stuff when she was young and she's still physically beautiful and just, um, really lucky that she's still healthy and works out all the time. She's in her seventies and doing great. How are you doing now? <laughs> Good question. I love your questions. People can't really stump me sometimes, but you can. Um, I, it's you know, a cop I, in me. I know. Right. I'm kind of scared. I'm like, wait a second. Um, just, just don't get, um, just don't let me get to the point where you say, where were you last Friday at 10 a.m.? Okay. Thank God I've never, that's like, that's one thing, knock on wood, I, I've always stayed on the right side of the law. (laughs) Um, I, my life is really good now. Um, and I'm extremely lucky to be in the place that I am in now. Two, uh, two years ago, um, like not to jump ahead, but I was suicidal and, um, and I can kind of talk about that, but there was also like other reasons that kind of brought me to that place at that time. So you, you recognize, I mean, when did you recognize you had depression? So I would say I've always struggled with depression from the time I lost my sister as a little 
as a baby because your brain isn't fully developed in that amount of trauma to a, a toddler. I was two, um, really, um, really affects you for your whole life. But with me, I, I hide, I would hide in my life through like characters and joking and, you know, being the ham and, um, but you know, I, I went to my first therapist when I was like 13 years old, um, obviously, or no 10 when my dad was still alive because I wasn't, I was having some issues and, you know, anxiety. And, um, and then again, obviously when I lost my dad, I went back into therapy and then cut to, I say, I had something happen to me every decade for my first like 30 years on the planet. I lost my best friend, extremely like the worst tragedy, like you can imagine. So I can kind of tell you about that. Uh, You know, I, I would be interested because the journey the journey to reaching the point where you struggle with suicidal thoughts, uh, I think people need to understand or would help them to understand that process. And maybe they recognize it within themselves or somebody else. Yeah. Well, one thing you should know is that I say all the time is a lot of people don't know that stand-up comedians are the most depressed people on the planet. You know, they struggle with like drugs and alcohol, like look at Robin Williams, look at Belushi, like, you know, Tom Arnold, Arnold, on and on and on, because a lot of it is wanting to be accepted, wanting to be liked, you know, Um, I wanted, you know, from a really young age, I wanted my parents to think I was funny and I loved to sing. So I was always tap dancing and doing my dancing and hiding behind characters. And so, yeah, I mean, I I hate to like kind of go off on that tangent, but people, something I'm very good at is hiding when I'm struggling, hiding behind a smile. Hi, Michael Hurst here. I just wanted to say thank you. While I was in surgery, it's been a difficult six weeks, seven weeks, and I really appreciate the fact that you continue to support and listen to One More Thing Before You Go podcast. I am excited to tell you that we're going back to a normal schedule here shortly. I have a fantastic stable of new guests, new opportunities, exciting 